My name is Travis Bozer, and you're listening to Canada Out of the Closet. Okay, so welcome to our very first episode of Canada Out of the Closet. My name is Travis Bozer, and I've got my co-host with me, John Witten. Say hello to the folks, John. Hello, folks. So John and I are here today. This is our, like I said, our very first episode, and it's going to look just a little bit slightly different than what we're normally doing uh, every week. Uh, normally, we're going to have another guest with us. We're going to talk to them about their experience. And as we were planning this, we thought it was probably a little bit of a good idea to let you know a little bit about who we are. So today we're talking about me, which is a little bit weird and a little bit, you know, hard, hard to not feel like I'm going on a bit of an ego trip at I, the same I time. I told him he had to do it. He did. He did. And we have a, a wonderful gentleman named Scott who has uh, done some creative consulting for us. And he also has indicated that that has to happen. So I am really happy today that, to, to talk about it and to introduce myself. And, and that's what we're going to do. Um, and so John, I just wanted to also introduce you to John. Uh, so John Whitten is a good friend of mine who I've had for a couple years now. And we met doing theater. I think was the first time we met doing Sister Act. And then now we were involved in church together and a whole bunch of different things. Um, And John... If I recall, you were a gay priest. I was. (laughs) Well, the role was was a priest (laughs) that I just made a little gay. (laughs) And it was probably the dancing that I had to do that made him just a little bit... (laughs) (laughs) It was brilliant. That was a creative creative decision is what that was. So yeah, we met doing that and, uh, and John has become a really good friend and I'm really happy to share this experience with him. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag right up front here. John is 100% absolutely a straight man. And, uh, and well, a lot of a people, second. did you just out me? I did. I, I did. I did. We I did the one thing I said I'd never do to people. We didn't totally talk about this, Travis. Yeah. Uh, John is straight. So if you can, you know, just hold with me for a second here and let me explain why I've brought a straight guy on with me. Um, you know, John is, is one of the most like level headed thinkers and so passionate about being an ally to LGBT people. And, uh, and so when I had this idea to do the podcast, I thought I want to bring a different perspective to it. Um, and part of what we're doing here is to, you know, kind of reach across that aisle to folks that, that don't have, you know, an understanding of what it's like to be gay. And John is going to be the person here that can kind of say, wait a minute, we need to clarify these things. Cause when you get two gay people in a room talking to each other, we just go off and then we'll forget that maybe our listener doesn't know about something or needs a little background. And that's where John's here to say, Whoa, wait a minute. We're going to talk about that. So, so um, you're saying my role is to ask the dumb question. Yes. It's always Excellent. about making myself look better. Excellent. Have you not learned that yet? Like we've been friends long enough that you should understand that. Okay. Be, be prepared for the dumb question. And I'll <laughs> ask our kind listener to be gentle with me. Yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, so that, that's, that's the role that John's, uh, John's playing with us here. That's a pleasure to be here. I'm, you didn't, you didn't drag me along kicking and screaming. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad to have you here. So, um, uh, I think we're just going to jump right in here. At this, at this point in the podcast, Travis is going to start each interview with the very same question. And so we're going to move forward with that question right now, which is when did you come out? So, Travis? When did I come out? Well, I came out uh, when I was 22, uh, and that was in 2014. Um, and it was it was a whole heck of a process, let me tell you, to get there to, to the age of 22. Um, and I, I think that probably the easiest way to to show that is to answer the, the second question. That, and I always laugh because I always find this is one of the most often questions that I get is not when did you come out, but when did you know that you were gay? And for me, I knew pretty young. I was, I was about 11 when I put together what it was. I was about five. Let me add a little uh, question here yeah. that will fill some color in for, for our listeners. Where were you? Tell when us. I came out, yeah, yeah. I, I was in living in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan when I came out. So a city of about 250,000 people. 
Um, and as you back up to where, when did you know, oh, where are we backing up to? Uh, when did I know even more was rural, right? even more rural? I grew up in a really small town called Scepter, Saskatchewan, population 99. Uh, and then my family moved away. So we went down to like 94, but, uh, <laughs> and they keep track of those things. Um, we have gravel streets and, uh, there was no school. We had to go two towns over about 20 clicks away for school, uh, which was leader Saskatchewan. So I often will tell people leader is where I'm from because people have somewhat of a sense of that, but Southwestern Saskatchewan is where I grew up. And, uh, it was very rural setting, very much like a, a farming community. Um, was kind of the main, main gig there. Um, and yeah, and that's where, so I mean, you push back and I was, I was about five, five or six probably. And I always say I had an understanding that there was something about me that was, I'm going to say unique. I, I tend to use the word different and I don't like using that word. Um, I'm going to say unique. I knew there was something about me that was unique from what everybody else that I was around in school was. And I didn't know what it was. I just knew that something was up. Now, every, everyone has something unique about them, but this is something that is completely different than everyone well, else I, you know? I, yeah, I don't, I struggle with the word different because I feel like it sets apart in some way, but it was, um, I, I, it's probably the easiest way to explain it is to say different. And I, I knew that there was something about me that was different. And as an adult, I can look back on that and say, well, there was something about me that was different from from my peers, something that was different about, you know, that I wasn't following, my life wasn't going to follow the the rules or the layout that was kind of expected of everyone at the time. Um, as a kid, you can't think that way. You don't know how to think that way. But I knew something was up. I knew that if I was sitting next to, you know, a friend that I was going to school with, that, that him and I were two different people and that, and that, there was, I knew it, I knew there was a difference between us. Can you give us a specific example of how that looked? What was something that was an example of something that was different? You know, I can't think of anything specific other than to say that at that age, I had more anxiety than they did, than I knew. I mean, they might've had anxieties about things I didn't know about. So I don't want to negate that. But I had a lot of anxiety. I didn't know why. I didn't even know what anxiety was. I can look back at it now as an adult and identify what it was. Um, I just knew that... I knew that... That something was up with me. I knew that there wasn't... Was it a sense of discomfort? Yes, that's the word. Thank you. It was a sense of discomfort. And... And that's probably what brought on the anxiety that I felt because I, from, I have learned in my life and I don't want to jump too far ahead from what we're talking about now, but I've learned that a lot of the anxiety that I had as a child was rooted in homosexuality and that struggle even before I knew what it was that I was struggling with. And even when I did know what it was, I identified it as a hundred other things because I didn't want to deal with that. So. All right. Well, let, let's yeah. move forward from there. So you have this sense that you're different, that there's a discomfort. Something's not quite the same as everyone else around you. And you're in this small town. So you don't maybe have an example of someone. Not in, not in person. I, um, there was a couple people in our community that were, um, that were gay. And at that age, when you hear about it, it's, it's like hearing a rumor. Now you don't know, you hear these things, but nobody talks to you about it because you're a kid and you can't understand those things. And, you know, um, so I did see them and I did hear negative things, but I didn't have a role model for lack of a better term until a much later age. But at the age we're talking about now, you didn't, look to them and think, could I be? No, 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 no. I didn't think about it. I couldn't identify it until I was 11. 
And I know I was 11 because I know I was in grade six. We all know what happens in grade six and five and six when puberty and all those fun things that happen to your adolescence. And the girls started to get boobs. And one girl in my class went like zero to 60. They came in like hard and heavy overnight. And I remember being in the locker room and all the guys were just enthusiastic about this girl's boobs. And they it was the talk for weeks. They could not get over it. And I just remember standing in the corner and going, uh, okay, that's not impressive. They're just boobs. It's not anything. And I looked over at another guy in the change room and thought, well, that's more interesting to me than boobs. And then went, whoa, what was that? Like, and that, that's where I started to know what it was, was that moment where I could pinpoint, okay. I think this might be how I'm different than people. Was that a scary moment? Oh my God. It was a terrifying moment to, and I can remember it so vividly. And you know, it's, it's almost 20 years later and I can still remember feeling like shame and confusion and, and like I was terrified about it. And at that time, everything I had heard about, gay people was negative, whether it was in conversations that I heard adults having in um, going to church uh, and hearing about it there, whatever it was, it was always negative. And so I distinctly remember sitting with that the rest of the day and going home and going into my bedroom and closing the door and, and not being able to, to kind of control those emotions. And it really freaked me out. And, and then as you go through puberty yourself, you start to understand more about what you're going to, you know, how you feel about other people and, and where your attractions lie. And I just found myself being more attracted to men and, and to other guys. And I, and I, I mean, it, it, it was 10 years of confusion. You have to think I was 11 or 11 years. I was 11 and I was 22 when I came out and it took me that entire time to work through that process and really come to grips with it and understand who I am. And I don't even think I fully understood who I was. Let's, let's go back to that 11 year old. You mentioned the church. How did the church play into how you felt at that moment? Oh, immensely. Um, I grew up Catholic and I was at that time in my life, what I call the poster boy for Catholicism, because we went to mass every Sunday we went as a whole family and it was important. And um, we did catechism classes growing up to learn how to be Catholic and did the first communion and all the things. And I was an altar server and I would go on a little bit later to read in church. And then I was playing the organ when I was 15 because I was just that kind of cool nerd. And, <laughs> um, and so I always say I was the poster child because I took it so seriously and so much of my identity was wrapped up in being a church kid. And so then when I have this realization that, oh gosh, I like guys, and that doesn't line up with being a church kid or being, you know, I, I had heard, um, not so much in, in Catholicism, or at least in our church, I didn't hear a lot of anti-gay preaching, but there was some. And, and so, and you have an awareness of it. You have an awareness that that does not line up with what the church teaches. And, and so when you start to think that way, you think instantly about what's that end game with that, right? Like, and I'm talking the big end games cause I'm Catholic. So we put the guilt on it, like, you know, <laughs> eternal damnation <laughs> kind of end games, um, and that really messes with you when you're like 11 or 12 and just trying to figure out your identity and then add that into the mix on top of it. Did you at any point in time think that maybe you had a future in church leadership? Yes. Yeah, I did. I often wonder now, did I think that was, was that my brain subconsciously going so far to the other side because I can't be gay. So I'm just going to really double down and and go hard on that. Right. And I never wanted to be a priest necessarily. Um, but I often thought about getting involved in other churches and I did eventually. And, um, 
and always had that thought process of going into leadership. Um, and, and maybe that's, like I said, I think it was to, to go so far the other way, but I, I think I was trying to find a way to not be gay. Personal conversion therapy. Uh, exactly what it was. Exactly what it was. And I did. I did. I, the whole time I was in school, there was not a point where I was in junior high or high school where I was able to admit to myself that I was gay. To me then, it was always, this is just something that I'm struggling with. This is something about puberty messing with your brain and your hormones and all that stuff. And like, this is, you'll grow out of this. I'll work through this. I'll work through it, right? And I thought, I'll marry. And I had, in high school, I had crushes on girls that I went to high school with. And I, for me, it was probably just my brain seeking out what I felt at the time should be normal. Um, and probably seeking out more the companionship than the romantic aspect of it. Um, but that's how my brain compartmentalized it at the time was like, this girl's here and you like her. Um, so you should probably pursue that. And, and, um, yeah, I, but I didn't, I never could accept that. And I thought at the time I will live my whole life without accepting this and I'll marry a woman and just live this little church, (laughs) church heavy life that is never going to be honest about who I am. Wow. Was there ever someone that you could talk about these things to without being afraid of being outed? Looking back, yes, there was. In the moment, no. I didn't have, I never felt comfortable or safe enough to do that where I was. Because you don't know. I I know now being out and the way that people reacted to it, you know, the people from my hometown reacted to it. I know now that there was lots of people that I could have went to. Um, I had a teacher in grade nine who had moved into our little town as often does, you know, a teacher would graduate with their education degree from Saskatoon or Regina or somewhere and come out to leader because they could get a job there. And so we had uh, a fellow that came in that was, was gay is gay. I shouldn't say was. He's still alive and still a very nice gentleman. Um, and he, the, the students didn't really know. We were kind of in the assumption. We we assumed he was. It was never confirmed. I think the staff knew maybe. Um, but he was the first person that I saw as a positive role model, as someone who, who would, uh, who I knew was gay, seemed to have this life of, of you know, had a job, had this. Um, kind of nice friends going on, stuff like that, and seemed to be successful. And I thought, okay, so I, I can be both of those things. Didn't want to be still, because the church aspect was still over here. Like, I, over here, I'm saying, oh, I can I can do that, maybe. But then over here, the church goes, no, you're still not even thinking about that. And um, so he was the first person, and I know now that I could have went to him, and I know now that there's other teachers who I could have went to and talked to about it. I know that there's clergy people that I could have went to um, that were not Catholic or evangelical or any of those kind of fundamentalist religions that were pretty popular in my hometown. There was a United Church, which the United Church of Canada is very welcoming and accepting. Um, And the minister in our town who, when I did come out, was the first person to reach out and talk to me about it. And, And I wish now that I would have reached out to them at high school. It might not have changed anything. I might not have been ready until I was later in life, but... Um, I wish I would have talked to somebody about it then. So in that 11 to 22 year old time from the moment you realized something was different Mm -hmm. to the moment you came out, did you talk to anybody about this? I didn't talk. I was terrified to talk to anybody about it. Not a soul. I didn't tell anyone until probably about six months before I came out. You know what? No, I did talk. I'm just thinking about that now. I reached out to one person when I was at, now I'm going to jump the gun here into a new topic. So stay with me. Um, I ended up at Bible school out of high school um, because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And, and I had thought about going into ministry and I, and that seemed like, okay, well I'll go test those waters and go to Bible school. And I did open up to one person there who was also struggling with it and had spoken about it. And then I went to them and said, I think, think I am too struggling with this. And then it was not supportive at all. It was, 
um, you can't, you can't struggle with that. You can't be that. You need to fight it. You need to, and it, it put me in a much darker place. So the one person you reached out to did not grab your and hand. And you know what's funny is that when you asked me, I instantly said no, because I think I've so blocked that person out of my life and out of my memory that I didn't even think about it right away. Do you think that person might've been gay? He is gay. Okay. Not, he's not out. Um, I don't have him on social media anymore. And I, and when I say he's not out, I, I don't even think he accepts himself as a homosexual because when I came out, he reached out to me and said, you and I have chosen different paths here and you're going to embrace it. And I can't embrace it and won't embrace it and encouraged me not to. Uh, and then I sent a message of, you know, I'm sorry that you feel that way. And this is kind of where our paths are going to stop crossing. Um, and I haven't thought about him in a long time until right now when it just popped into my head again. So I guess I have like a little repressed memory thing going on there because I, I completely forgot about that until like halfway through answering that question. Perhaps you'd like to lie down on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know this was a therapy session. Am I going to have to pay you like $150 now for this hour of time together? Yeah, that's what I've been assuming. <laughs> I just want us to stop for a second and I need to just think about Maybe the most important thing in my life from age 11 to 22, and I can't talk to anybody about it. No, wait, I talked to one person about it, and they shut it down. Mm -hmm. Can you, I, I, I can't imagine. It's through those years, I talked to a lot of people about a lot of important things, and I was never, not normally shut down on it. I certainly had an outlet to talk to someone. Wow. As you, as you talk about that, that time, 11 to 22, I'm, I'm trying to imagine um, your, you coming to terms with who you are. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, is this a straight line, if I may use the word straight? <laughs> See, there he is already, folks, with that straight agenda coming in there. <laughs> I'm trying to make it a straight line. It, was it a straight line? Was it, were there a lot of ups and downs on the way? Was it generally in that well, nothing about me has ever been straight. I'll just, I'll just put that out there right now. Um, it was not a straight line. It was a lot of ups and downs, a lot of, um, a lot of doubt and a lot of struggling and a lot of telling myself, pushing it down, right? I'm not going to deal with that. I went to Bible school and I, I think I'd made it like two months where I would push down every thought. I would push down everything and not, probably not even two months, honestly, probably a month. I'm probably being generous. And I was in such a dark place from that experience um, that I, yeah. At that point, are you any closer to admitting to yourself? Like that's when I'm talking about this, this no. line. No, no. I probably had moments where I inched closer to it. It was, for me, it was probably the last year before I came out that I really made steady progress towards that. So is Bible, is Bible school at this point just advanced uh, therapy for you to try to repress this? Basically. Or cure yourself of it? Basically. And then couldn't even... Bible school ended in a complete like mental breakdown for me. Um, I went for... Shocking. I, right? <laughs> I went for one year, still didn't know what I wanted to do was still thinking about ministry. So went back for a second year and I made it halfway through that semester. And I had come home to my parents' house at, for the weekend. And we were, we were getting ready to travel somewhere. And my anxiety was through the roof because of everything that was happening to me at that time. And the struggle that I was having with trying to, I mean, I, I really thought, I don't think that I, consciously was like, I'm going to go to Bible school to, to 
you know, pray the gay away and use it as conversion therapy. I think subconsciously I thought that. Consciously it was, no, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And that's the, ne- that's the next step. Um, and that wasn't working. It was not taking any of those feelings away. I wasn't able to push it down. And I ended up, my mom found me in my basement bedroom in their house, not quite yet hysterical, but on the verge. And then when she asked me what was going on, I fell apart and I still couldn't say anything about what was going on. And I made up, I mean, I didn't even make it up. I'm sure there was other things that were happening in my life at the time that I just made that the focus of it, that that's where this anxiety is coming from because I couldn't talk to them about it. My parents sent me to counseling and I still couldn't talk to the counselor about it, who I should have known as a safe space where I could do anything um, and talk to them about anything. And I still couldn't talk to them about it. When you broke down in front of your mom, how old are you at this point in time? Like 19, probably. So as a 19 year old breaking down in front of your mom, I've heard gay friends say my mom always knew. Did your mom always know? Yeah, my mom always knew. Um, I actually have never really talked to her too much about about that night since then. Um, I don't. I don't know if she knew then, like that's what was going on. But she had been thinking about it when I came out to my mom, who was the first person in my family that I came out to. Um, I told her, and one of the first things she said to me is that she kind of had an, an inkling that that might be it. And what tipped her off was, and I am mortified by this, but what tipped her off was when I was probably in junior high or early high school, there was a story about gay marriage in the news. And I guess I went on like a like a tangent of, well, that's just so wrong and they shouldn't be allowed to do that. And it like it, oh, it just hurts coming out of my mouth to even think that now. But at the time, I was obviously in some pretty big denial. And my mom told me years later that when I did that, it triggered in her something was defensive about it, almost. And and she kind of had that, oh, maybe maybe he's gay thought. And then always had, I think, in the back of her mind, but never asked me about it. Um, and probably didn't know how to ask me about it. Uh, so when I did come out to her, that was something that she told me, and I was mortified <laughs> to find out that I had said that even. But uh, so I think it was in her, it was in, on her radar. And she may have thought about it that night. Um, I'm sure she did. If she had thought that I might be, she must have wondered if that was causing me anxiety. Um, but it's not something that we've talked about since. I've never felt the need to talk about it since, so I've never brought it up. Well, that's. I think that your reaction has to be seen as completely normal. I I, I remember thinking the exact same things, and, and I hope this comes back in the podcast through other guests. I I just wonder what is it that society has against homosexuality? I mean, I grew up in a a fairly normal home where I don't recall anyone ever saying anything negative about homosexuality. And yet junior high and high school, you know, everybody's calling each other fag and, and what I look back on as such hurtful words for someone who might've overheard that, uh, why I, you know, I feel free to throw a thought in about that a bit of a tangent. I don't, I don't know. If there is a why, I, I mean, there is, and it, I think it's hard to pinpoint what the why is. I, I think that the church has a lot to do with that. And we live in, in Canada and in Western civilization, you know, we live in a pretty, pretty church centric world, whether we like it or not. Um, the church has such an influence on everything in politics and in, in, um, well, really in politics, the period, I think says it. And then that puts the rules out there. And I think that, that for me, I think that it's something that gets tied in, I think a lot with, I mean, if you want to play the political game with the conservative mindset, and I think a lot of people buy into the conservative mindset for other reasons, be it maybe fiscal reasons or something. And then that's just kind of part of the game with it. Um, and I think people don't, I think people just naturally do not like being confronted with differences and change. And, 
And that is something over the years that has been put into that category and fueled, fueled that division. Um, and, and it's something that we live in a different world now than we lived in even 20 years ago, right? Like it's, it, I think it's much more, there's still a long way to go. It's much more accepting of gay people now in Canada. I can't speak about all over the world. Um, and I think that, um, that mentality that you talk about growing up with, I grew up with it too. We're from different generations. And, and I, I grew up in the city. Exactly. And I grew up in like the size of this table with gravel. Like it's like, <laughs> it's, I can't even explain how small it is. So I think that, I think that that natural thing that you're talking about, that I don't want to say natural thing, but that, that, kind of, you know, that mindset of where you're not around it. And then all of a sudden it starts happening in junior high where people are talking negatively and thing. I think that is something that will over time die out. I really do. I really am hopeful about that. Um, That's great because it's so potentially deadly. It is. Well, it is, it has been. And there are always going to be voices who are not going to die out. There is always going to be people who are going to use terms like that. There are always people who are going to um, to push a hateful agenda. There will always be. But we can always hope that'll be accepted less than it has been in the past. And I do think that. Because what it led to, in, in my experience in junior high and high school, was that kind of language and uh, I think a sense inside me that was, I have to throw this kind of language around because that can't be me. Oh my God, if if that was me. Well, and it's easier to fit in with what everyone else is doing. And, and, and follow along with that than to be the person who's going to step aside, even if you're not struggling with your identity yourself to still just be the person who's going to be supportive. Oh, absolutely. I was not struggling with my identity or sexuality at all. Yeah. But that homophobia is such a great word because it was, I cannot be identified as that. That is the worst thing that could happen to Mm -hmm. me. And where does that come from? I, we, we don't need to talk about that any further today necessarily, but it's a, I think it's that's a big something question. we're going to talk about a lot with our guests. And you're going to see that coming out through their stories. Well, and, and that's what their... would, I would think would stop someone from being able to confront the fact that, yes, I am different and that's okay. Because no, at that stage, it's not okay somehow. Yeah. Okay. So going back to those years, um, in your story, is there anybody who really intentionally or not came through for you was a, was an important person in terms of helping you to accept who you really are? Yes. Oh yes. Um, (laughs) I, that could be a whole nother episode of me just listing (laughs) like names. Um, I will say this much. I have, I have a friend, um, a really dear friend, uh, named Trina, who's not going to mind that I say her name at all, who um, was the first person that I really opened up to. And even then I couldn't say it. And I think she knew I couldn't say it. So bless her heart. She said, why don't you just text me what you need to tell me? And uh, and so I did that. And she was so like, she was the first person that I told it was, it would have been about six or so months before I told my mom, who was the first person in my family and unconditional support, unconditional, like I'm behind you and is from, I knew Trina from my little hometown from leader where we were involved in arts organization together and did a lot of stuff together and had become such good friends. And, and even then I didn't know how she'd react. I was pretty confident, but I didn't know. Um, and she came through, and was constantly making sure I was okay, helping me through that process, talking me through it. Um, and she really made me know that if I came out and you, and you prep yourself for this, you prep yourself so much that when you are prepared for the fact that when you come out, every single person in your life is going to turn away from you and never talk to you again. And you have to think that way. You, you, you think that, you know, I might mitigate a bit of them and some of them might stick around. I don't know who, but you, you prepare yourself for never seeing or hearing from people again. To protect yourself. Right. And exactly to protect yourself. And, and so when I 
told her, I knew I had somebody that if everybody else turned away and everybody else didn't want anything to do with this anymore, that I had somebody who was going to keep me and, and be my family or whatever I needed after that. Right. And it's silly to think that now to me that my family would ever not be okay with it because they're wonderful and have always been, but well, psychologically um, you have to prepare, you yourself. have to prepare yourself for that. And I'm going to ask everyone to just pause for a second again, especially those who have not been through this and think, imagine a moment when I have to doubt that my family will walk this road with me. Yeah. That chokes me up just thinking about it. It's, it's tough. It's tough. And it's, and I don't talk about it a lot because I'm really aware of the fact that, I mean, my family didn't do that. My family has, I, I'm not saying it's probably been always easy for them to, um, especially at first, but there was never a moment of doubt for me that I was going to be okay after I came out to them. There was never a moment where I thought it was going to go sideways. Um, and, and for me, I, that's why I'm very cautious about talking about having those thoughts beforehand, because I don't want, it's hard to explain to them that I had to think that, that I had to be prepared for that. It's nothing personal, mom and dad. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's nothing personal. It's just, I didn't know. Um, and you don't know. And, um, I will say that I had never heard my parents say anything negative themselves. I had heard other people in my family say negative things, uh, in my extended family. Um, and my brothers did when I was young. Uh, and that was just, I think them being teenagers and, and working through those same things you were talking about a moment ago, because I, they genuinely do not feel those things or believe those things. Let me just jump in there and, and ask about your siblings and how they factored into this whole moment in your life. It was my siblings that pushed me to have to accept who I was and really started that process for me um, when I got into my early 20s. Because both my brothers got married uh, within three years of each other. Um, the first in 2010, the second in 2013. And they're and older than you? They're older than me, five and seven years. And they both... They both got married, and then I came out in 2014, about probably six months after my next youngest brother got married. So when they got married, that was – like I can remember sitting at their wedding and being really joyous and celebrating that my brothers have married these wonderful people, and I love my sister-in-law so much. And I, I, it was – I mean, they were part of our family before they married in, but that's a whole other story. But I, um, I sat at these weddings and thought – I'm, I don't know if I'm going to have this and, and I want this and I don't think I can have this with a woman. And then when my brother got married, my next youngest brother got married in 2013, which was very close to when I came out, that one pushed me over the edge of, I had, and I had already at that point opened up to my friend Trina and then went to my brother's wedding and I came out of that wedding and I thought, and I was already working through the process of coming out and getting ready to tell people and had told a couple people, obviously, but I went to that wedding and thought, I have to be honest about who I am because I want this. I want to be happy with somebody and to, to have a wedding and to have this, what you know, normal progression of life with somebody else. But it ain't going to be no girl. It ain't going to be no girl. No. And, um, and so I think that's, that's how they played into it. And they, and my brothers, I found out when I came out to them, had been driving in a car together sometime before then and having this conversation of, do you think Trav's gay? Like he's never brought a girl around or he's never, you know, talked about girls much or, and I found out afterwards that they both had sat in that car and just said, well, if he is, I hope he's comfortable enough to come and tell us about it. And and be open about it. And I, when I came out to my, the next youngest one is the one that I, the one in the middle, that's the one I came out to first. And he, um, he told me about that conversation. I just remember laughing and going, well, that makes this next phone call like a hundred times easier. So, <laughs> you know, um, but it was, it was watching them move into that next stage of life with a partner and, 
and starting families and stuff that really pushed me into I need to do this. Never mind the fact that you're getting older and more mature as And that exactly, on. right? So let let's go back to your story then, Travis. Um in those months after your brother's wedding, how did how did the cards fall? How how did this uh I'm gonna back it up a little bit. Um in the months before my brother's wedding, uh my grandfather, he passed away in January of twenty thirteen. He had been quite ill. Uh, with a dementia-like disease that kind of took him away from us quite rapidly. And um, as I was coming to terms with who I was, I began to struggle with the fact that he didn't he didn't know and would never know, because by that point, he was too far gone. And then he passed away, and that was a catalyst for me, that somebody so important to me is now gone and doesn't know that didn't actually know who I was. And at that point I had started to accept that, um, that I was not going to kick this, (laughs) that I, I was a gay man, whether I liked it or not. And, and I was starting to work towards embracing that. And, um, then I lost him and, and I just, it, it killed me and it still kills me that he didn't know. I, I do think, I, I mean, I'm a spiritual person and I believe in an afterlife and I, I do believe that wherever he is now, he's aware of it. And so that started it. And then I, I get to this family event in September where I'm at this wedding and it's my brother's wedding and all these people are here and we're celebrating love and celebrating family and all these things. And, and yeah, just being in that, in that time of grief and celebration and finding my own place and what I want for my life. It, that was such a transformative year for me in so many ways. Well, that, that's, I, I could tell that that was hard to talk about it was not- and i i do want to say i always say that trina is the first person i told if i want to get technical my grandpa val is the first person i told i went to he died in january i was driving through the area where my grandparents lived um and visited the cemetery in about july that year and i sat at the foot of his grave and through a lot of tears came out to him in that moment and it was like the hottest day of the year, <laughs> which I'm sure was somehow his fault because he would just like to mess with me in some way. <laughs> and um, I just sat at the foot of his grave, had this moment, cried it out, didn't even realize like another old guy had come to visit his wife's grave. And I'm like, oh, this poor gentleman is watching me like lose it here. And um, I just felt in that moment that I could, I could do it. I felt that I had told him and that I could go forward. I could, I could own this and I could, I could start telling people. And I told Trina probably a week later. So your grandfather and Trina, and where do you go from there? Um, I moved to Saskatoon in September of 2013 to go to school there. And I just made a conscious decision when I moved there that I had a little bit of family there that were not connected to anything else I was doing. So I, came out to everyone that I was at school with. I started living, I started dating um, in Saskatoon and worked through that. And then I came out to my parents at Christmas time. After? After that. I was just going to ask if you had already come out to your family. No, I came out to my, so I, I moved. I, I think it was important. I was living with my parents until that summer when I moved to Saskatoon, because I was working, I had left uh, Bible school and gone back and was working and, and, um, and then I moved to Saskatoon and, and I had just kind of established myself there and, and had some friends that knew I was gay, had this life and had people that I knew were going to back me up no matter what. And so I went home over that Christmas break and said to myself, you are not coming back to this city until you, until you do that. And, um, it was the day before New Year's Eve and my mom and I were sitting on the couch and I just kind of threw it out there and we had a discussion about it. And then she decided to tell my dad, cause I think she knew that it was 
a lot for me to even get it out to her. Um, and she told my dad and then he came downstairs and we had this little family meeting for 10 minutes and I was a little bit nervous, I think, cause it was so shocking for my dad. I Just don't think a little he, bit nervous. well, no, let, sorry. Let me finish what I was going to say. I was nervous the next morning. I was nervous doing it obviously. And then my mom told my dad and they came downstairs and I thought he seemed a little bit standoffish, but I think my dad had probably literally no idea. I don't think he had ever even thought or considered that this might be a thing. And so he's dealing with a lot, right? So now. he's like, he's, and I, I always say to people, um, you know, you have to give people space for that, right? Like they need the space to work through that. And, uh, but I remember having this conversation and feeling a little bit like, Oh, he was a little timid. Like, I don't, I don't know how that, how that's going to go. And, uh, the next morning he went to work and then he came home at lunchtime and it was just, business as usual and right back to the wise ass, you know, joke cracking kind of relationship that we have with each other. Um, and so, and, and I, I'm sure that it internally and between them, there was a lot more to work through, but they, I have to give them so much credit because from the moment I told them there was never a moment of doubt for me that they were going to be 100% behind and supportive and, and whatever they had to work through, they never they never showed me that. They just made sure that I knew they were there. So I really have to give them credit for that. Now, at this point, you are out to anybody who has meaning in your life. Mm -hmm. So now um, I have to give credit to Scott, our creative consultant, for this question because it's brilliant, really, which is no surprise. He's a brilliant guy. Uh, you are out to people you love, but this life is a new life. Being gay is one thing, but doing gay is a different thing. So tell us about the the difficulty in in adjusting to this new way of thinking and being. Oh, well it's 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 funny. I mean you you prepare yourself for something and you you work through that. And it's always that I, I use the way my mom said it, I think is the best way to explain it is that when I came out to her and she told me she had suspected, she said to me, I've always suspected it. And it's one thing to think about it. And it's another thing for it to actually be here. And this is what's happening. And I think it's the same thing when you're the person doing that. It's because you can think about being gay and you can accept who you are. And I mean, to bring the church back into it, that's what a lot of people do is, is accept that, you know, I'm going to be attracted to the same sex, but I'm never going to act on it. Um, and God, I wish, cause I, once I made that decision, once I came out, like I was never going to be someone who didn't act on it and be who I was, but I'm sure there was just a whole couple years of awkwardness there of like navigating, you know, and bless the people that stayed with me through that and <laughs> supported me on that. But it's, it's different to, to do it. And it's different to, once you own it, I think to let the guard down that you have around you and accept it. Right. And there's two, there's two things here that, in this question. I think one is your ability to say, I'm going to hold this man's hand in public. And then there's the aspect like, how does that feel for you? Does that feel awkward for you? And then there's the, uh, what are other people around us thinking? Those are two quite different things. Mm -hmm. I still struggle with that. And that's, I think partially probably because of where I live now, um, which is in Medicine Hat, uh, which is in Southeastern Alberta and kind of on the edge of, I call it the Bible belt of Canada. I think a lot of people do. And um, I still struggle with that. I still struggle with, um, and I am very open about who I am. And I, I mean, I work in education and I, I talk to, talk to students about it and 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 I I still worry about you know what are people going to think if my fiance and I are holding hands in public or PDA or any kind of thing like that and I still worry about students and their families and and I think it's important to be visible and to be um to be somebody that they can look to as an example of you know, I can, I can be who I am and, and embrace that. But I still worry about, 
you know, if this student's going to go home and talk to their parents who are deeply homophobic, what kind of backlash is going to come from that? Um, I've seen, we don't have a lot of violence necessarily in our community. Um, but I, I worry all the time about, and I mean, this year watching COVID happen and, and the way people reacted to restrictions and the way people reacted to different things. I've always worried about that. I've always worried about what could happen um, if we put a pride flag on our front front porch or, you know, and it's never stopped me from doing it ultimately, but it has always been a concern is, am I safe doing this? And I've been out for, uh, you know, seven years and I've never once put that guard down. I've never once been able to put that guard down in regular life. I've traveled to places that are less, I've, I've traveled my, my fiance is from Southern Ontario, which is a lot more progressive thinking. Um, and so when we're there, I, I find usually like the three weeks that we're there in the summer, my guards down by the end. And then we come back to Alberta and I'm <laughs> all the walls go back up and, uh, and then I want alert again. Um, we're going to have another hetero moment. That's maybe what I'll call this. And a in hetero this moment, John's hetero moment. And now for John's hetero <laughs> moment, just pause and think about that. If you've never had to before, you want to just take the hand of your girlfriend, wife, husband, wife, friend, your heterosexual partner. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even think about it. Taking the hand, you know, other public displays of affection, maybe you think about, I might think about, but taking her hand in public, never. And you have to think about this every time you do it. Well, and I mean, so even to put a prime example, I mean, and 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 John knows this, and now you, listener, are going to know this, and I think I've referred to him as my fiance, but um, my fiance and I recently got engaged, and so we're planning this wedding. And I made a joke one day to somebody, and then I think it very quickly didn't turn into a joke, <laughs> because they asked us if we're going to look at an outdoor ceremony. And I said, oh, no, we live in Southern Alberta. I would be concerned about snipers if an outdoor ceremony. <laughs> and I laughed and they didn't laugh. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, they don't they don't understand why I would say that. And then I was like, this is why I'm doing a podcast. And I got all like, you know, but um, but that is the thing. I mean, we're planning this wedding right now. And a lot of people instantly go, cause we live in a very beautiful city, very lots of green space and lots of things. And, and everyone goes, Oh, you should get married in this park or you should think about that. And I mean, I'm a practical person that doesn't want to have rain ruin the day. So like, that's the other thing, but it's also, I don't want to get married outside because somebody driving by is maybe going to be a dick about it. And so it's, <laughs> you're always thinking about that. And by you, I mean me, but it's, it's a bizarre way to live your life. And I don't say it that way as a woe is me and, you know, but, um, but it's something I don't think, think people understand that. I don't think that if you're not in, if you're not in the community, if you're not a gay person or a trans person or any person, you know, uh, I don't think you can understand what it's like to have that guard up and to always be on alert and be, um, and, th- and maybe that's why I have back problems because I'm just always <laughs> like tense. hunched up and tense. But interesting, yeah. I'd like to go back to the hand holding. The do you recall the first time you held the hand of another man or kissed another man? We, you know, I'm not going to ask you intimate details, but was that hard for you to get past that moment, that physicality? Oh, <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, totally aside from being seen doing it, just like just actually, the actual doing it, you seeing yourself do it. Well, there's a lot of, um, I mean, I had, before I came out, I had, and I, I have no issue saying it. I mean, I, I had not dated, but kind of met a couple guys through some of like the online apps and things. And, and I remember the first time I was ever kind of, I mean, if you want to call it making out or whatever it was, but there's... I think for me, there was still like a level of guilt at that point because I was not out yet and still working through some of those things and those church things. And, um, it, 
the first guy that I ever kissed uh, had I had met up with him, kissed him, and then I went to the bathroom because I was freaking out about it, and then I just left, and I like I couldn't handle it, and then didn't think about doing that again for a long time, and and it really wasn't until I moved to Saskatoon that I was able to actually kind of start dating people and thinking about it and meeting guys and and I still would never publicly do anything at that point um but there is like there for me it was a guilt thing of working through and I think the church played into that if of you know um even still thinking about eternal damnation and those things that you're taught your whole life it's one thing to think it it's another to act right and it's hard to turn that off when that's you know, I mean, I was Catholic. We're like laying down some guilt, like nobody's business. So like I, I, it was a long time before I could, and probably my first serious relationship, which was right about the time I came out was the first time that I was able to comfortably, um, you know, be affectionate with another man and, um, holding hands and things like that. And, and I still wouldn't do that in public then. And I still don't do it in public today. And I don't, that's just, I mean, for me, it's having the guard up, right? But I'm also not a hand holder. I, that's just my, it's my personal thing. But you mentioned, Travis, that you are uh, an educator. Yes. How well? Soon to be educator. Yes. Because my, my fiance was here right now who is an educator. He would say, well, not yet. You have one more year and then you get a degree. <laughs> John knows uh, my fiance Curtis quite well, so he's quite laughing at that right now. <laughs> he would say it louder than that. He, well, everything he says is loud. <laughs> so as a teacher, as you look forward to your teaching career, how, how do you feel that this, your whole experience going through this will inform and influence you as an educator? Greatly. And I think that as much as I would like to list a billion other reasons that I became an educator. I think that that is probably the driving force for me to go into education. And I have a passion for education and I believe in education and, and ensuring that children have that. But I feel, I feel such a strong um, push on myself that if I can be, any kind of role model for any student that's struggling with that, that's what I need. And I want to work. I mean, my goal is to work with junior high age kids and to be the person that I needed at that point in my life, whether that was academically, um, socially, whatever it was. And for me, my identity was the thing I was struggling with then. Um, and it plays such a huge role. I mean, I've, I've been doing practicums and, and working in schools a little bit, um, as I've been working through my degree. And I already find myself in situations where I've got students that are questioning things, that are struggling with things. And I've already become the go-to person, I think, for some of those situations. So for me, it, it weighs, I mean, it has such a great importance on me to be an educator and to, to be that person for students who is going to encourage them to just embrace who they are, whether that's gay or whether they're um, struggling with identity in a different way, or whether they are struggling with a desire to pursue athletics or music or whatever it is that they want to be. Um, It's for me, it's to, to really just help them be the best versions of themselves. So Travis, uh, this, we should tell our listeners that this uh, interview was not rehearsed. You did not know the questions I was going to I knew th- ask. I knew topics because I had made suggestions to yes. you about this is where we could go with it. But I did not know questions. But I didn't agree that I would go with all of them. No, no. I went with most of them. <laughs> but uh, you didn't know the specific questions. But there is one question you do know, and that is the one you want to end each interview with on this podcast. And that is... If there is one thing you want people to know about being gay in Canada, what is it? You know, the biggest thing that I can obviously say, apart from the obvious things of, you know, just be yourself and be who you are, which is so easy to say and to, I know it's a different thing to do it because I've had to work through that myself, is 
I want to I want to use that time to give some advice is that if you're struggling with coming out, if you're working on that and you're coming out to folks, be prepared and be ready to give some space to them if they need it. One of the most important pieces of advice I ever got was that when you come out of the closet, you've been working up to that for so long. <laughs> and for me, it was 11 years of understanding what it was and more than that even. And when you come out to somebody, they need to start that process in that moment. And you've had 11 years in my case, right? Like I had 11 years to do it and give them some space, give them some time and, um, and let them, let them work through it. And I mean, it's not an excuse for them to, to not be supportive or to, to, treat you differently or to be uh, rude or jerks to you about it, but let them have some time to work through that and don't have some expectations that it's just going to be all sunshine and roses. And it's either you're with me or you're not, because they're probably going to be with you in the end, but they're going to, they're going to need some time. And to follow that up when you're prepping for it, know that people are going to surprise you so much. (laughs) There's, People in my life that I thought would be not able to handle this and have been totally on board and totally supportive. And there's people that I thought would be able to, to be supportive about it that are no longer in my life. Um, and so people will surprise you and, but just embrace what you have, take what you can, um, and give some people some space, let them come back to you and, and it's easy to say if they don't come back to you that they didn't need to be there in the first place, but you'll learn those things. Um, and just embrace who you are and embrace your uniqueness. I like that word. I love that word uniqueness. Embrace that. Um, and don't let, don't let the viewpoints of others dictate who you are. Cause I did that for so long in my life and, and that's not, that's not happy. So I'm using this space to give advice. I, I guess that's different than maybe what I've asked other people to do. <laughs> but, that's all right. But that is, I mean, we're, the other thing that John and I are doing is is when we have other guests here, we're going to talk about our, our big takeaways from an interview. And that is my big takeaway from my story always is is work through that process and be prepared, but, but give that space and, and just embrace yourself. I think the takeaways will be an interesting little discussion at the end of the interview. And my takeaway absolutely today that I did not expect was John's hetero pause, where we just think, wow, what would it be like to have to think about reaching out and grabbing my wife's hand as we walk down the path mm-hmm. every time I do it? Hmm. Well, I would just like to say um, we've got some great guests coming up. We do. I'm so excited about yes, it. I am as well. And such a range of um, topics to cover too. I mean, our world is so so diverse, and our community, our our LGBTQ community, is so diverse. And so, I mean, we've got several people lined up, and um, each one of them is bringing a different story and a different a different viewpoint and a different um, approach. Unique. Unique a approach. unique approach. That's the word I'm looking for. And it's, it's, I, we're going to have such great conversations. I'm just, I'm so excited about and it. And Travis, you're going to ask each one of them to sit on that hot seat that you've just been on for the last hour. I, I'm really excited to be on your side of this. Yes. You, you know, will uh, be. for the next one, I'm really I, ready I, to. I sense it was much easier for me. <laughs> and I just want to say, I really appreciate you opening up and leading the way with this because it's not, I, I, I could see in your face that it is not necessarily easy stuff to, to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I'm honored that you would share that with me and with all of us. Oh, and I'm, I'm happy to, and I'm, I'm, I, I think this is going to help me. I'm glad it was suggested. It's going to help me, I think, frame being on your side of the conversation a little better. Um, and I'm grateful that you signed on to do this with me and to be my token straight guy because um, I'm tired of token gays. We're <laughs> we're reversing that. So you're my token straight now. And um, and I I think this is going to be fun. I think we're going to have such 
such great conversations. And I think that the most important thing, if I can use education speak right now, is that you and I are both going to learn so much absolutely from this and in different ways. And um, that's what I'm the most excited about is is just getting some different perspective for myself even too. So I think this is going to be really fun. Uh, I'd like to thank John for coming on board with me and for be asking all the tough questions today and uh, and uh, doing this together with me. It's been so much fun today and it's going to be so much fun going on. And we're going to be back next week with another episode of Canada Out of the Closet. And we're going to have someone else come and sit in the hot seat and share their story. So thank you for listening today. Stick with us for next week and you're going to hear some great things. Have a good rest of your day. This has been Canada Out of the Closet. The show is produced and hosted by Travis Bozer and John Whitten. The creative consultant, Scott Blair. The theme song is Brighter Place by the Young Presidents. By the way, you'll find us both on Instagram and Facebook at Canada Out of the Closet, and that's all one word. If you have any questions or comments, reach out to us by email at canadaoutofthecloset.com at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another Canadian living out of the closet. <laughs>